Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. A girl walks home alone at night is over. I'm bad. I don't Andy, it's number three. Number three of our horror debuts with uh, Anna Lily Amirpour's film uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Or, as you have so aptly written in the show notes, Aguan. <laughs> That's right. Aguan. Uh, you, uh, why are we talking about this movie? Uh, it's a horror debut. This was Anna Lily Amirpour's debut feature film. Uh, you know, she had been fighting to get something made and managed to uh, get in touch with all the right people for this particular film. Uh, Elijah Wood was one of the people who had read the script and loved it and came on board. Um, you know, he had been looking at doing some producing of his own sorts of things and uh, came on board as a producer for this film and really connected with it. And it's, I mean, it is a very kind of, uh, it's a it's a debut film that has a very kind of specific look and feel to it that. I think that uh, says Amir Poor has a, a definite voice when she's making a film, and I, I really enjoyed kind of getting a sense of what she was uh, what she was exploring here in her debut feature film. I'm addicted to her as a person. Well, it's fitting for this particular film. Yeah, I guess it is. Have you watched any any interviews of of her like speaking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? She's so addictive. I watched, yeah, the one where she's talking to Roger Corman. You watched that one? Um, it was like a, after a screening, he was he was uh, moderating a conversation. No, with I her didn't. And I didn't watch that one. Just a delight because <laughs> they oh, kick it off so... talking about uh, dropping LSD. <laughs> yeah, she's very open. Yeah, uh, but she's also like, and I say this with the greatest respect. Like, she's a skater chick and. Uh, just watching the way she interacts with the world is fascinating. It it's fascinating. I just I love her personality. I love the way she she thinks about things. Uh, we're going to talk about her perspective on uh, loneliness and how it fuels her sort of creative arts. I, I'm really I'm I'm fascinated by her. Whatever we end up thinking about the movie, uh, she is for me absolutely someone to watch. Absolutely. Her loneliness and her fear of death, which she you yeah, know, talks about right. quite openly, the, the right. idea that she just really doesn't want, she doesn't like that idea. I would love to just kind of lock herself in where she is now and just kind of live forever. So yeah, it's, it, it fits interestingly with this conversation. Well, this movie is actually not rated, but it does contain mild sex and nudity, moderate violence and gore, mild profanity, severe depictions of drug use, and moderate, frightening and intense scenes. Our conversation will be touching on all of this as well. Do you want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, you can. If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to this very movie in our show notes 
All you have to do is just click on that and it will take you right to their website where you can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, they actually give us a tiny piece too. It's, you know, it's like we're the little baby bird and they're throwing up into our mouths a little tiny bit for us. So, (laughs) That's what it means when you say we get a taste. That's right. It's it's Uh, the bird vomit. Great. (laughs) We are uh, also uh, up in our game in the merch store. And in fact, we had a big drop last week. So uh, if you are listening to this and you haven't checked the merch in a a, a little while, uh, you should check it out because you might get the uh, Blood Moon Centennial Celebration at Point Dune, California 1973 shirt or mug or sticker. Or, you know, did you attend the world-famous Spicoli Surf School established 1982? Get some tasty waves and cool buzz uh, at the Spicoli uh, Surf School. Uh, You might speak Fluent Valley or want to know how much your puppies cost at Kelly's Pet Store. Uh, or your alma mater. You got to show off your alma mater if you went to Pack Tech. That's up there too. Uh, there's just a lot going on uh, over at the merch store. So the 80s comedy of Heckerling and Coolidge is all done. All of the uh, art, new art is up there. Check it out. And we are moving on to the uh, murderer's row of horror debut logos that are that we're dropping up there. So check it out. Support the show if you don't want to become, you know, a member. TrueStory.fm slash TNR merch. We want you to record us a review. That's right. We're going to start including clips, 30-second audio files. Just record them on your phone in your voice memos app. Just like about a 30-second audio file, email it to us at reviews at truestory.fm. As soon as you watch the film, we just might end up showcasing your voice on the show. You got to get them in quick, though, because we record generally about two weeks before the episode drops. So uh, just get them recorded, watch the movie, get them recorded, and send it in to reviews at truestory.fm. And anyone who's a fan of Letterboxd, check out our new HQ page. If you want to get a discount on pro or patron membership of your own Letterboxd account, you can do that. Just use the discount next reel when you upgrade your account at letterboxd.com, or you can just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd, and the code will already be applied. It'll take you to letterboxd.com with the code already applied. You'll get 20% off, again, pro or patron membership, and it works for renewals as well. Our annual questionnaire, or what do we say? Quinquennial. Quinquennial questionnaire <laughs> uh, the time for it is getting close to drawing to a close it is uh we've got a few more weeks for it to be up it is at the top of the page at truestory.fm slash the next reel there's a questionnaire button kind of a strip across the top and you just click on it fill out the questionnaire we really want to get some more feedback uh your listening habits what you like what you don't like all of that good stuff if you can just fill that out in the next few weeks we would really appreciate it And as we've said before, one lucky listener who fills it out is going to get a free year of membership. Hey, everybody, we need your support. You know, we don't sell your info. We don't use any uh, dramatic and invasive ad targeting features on our podcast. We, we've we decided to go the membership route. But in order to do that, in order to keep making these shows and keep growing, we do need your support. So if you have considered it at any time over the last 10 years that we've been doing this show, we encourage you to jump over to our, our membership page, sign up for a few bucks a month, and and jump in you'll get some perks and uh you'll really really help us we have our saturday matinee polls that go every week for the saturday matinee show uh, members get to vote on those polls they are in the discord uh, show talk channel and with those polls they can choose the list topic based on the movie that we are talking about this week if you were a member 
you could have voted on the list topic for A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night already. Members also get early access to every episode, and there are also so many bonus episodes. So many bonus episodes. It is ridiculous how many bonus episodes we're doing this year. That's right. There's the monthly member bonus episode that fills a gap in from one of our previous series or current series. There is our monthly flick chart re-ranking episode uh, that drops on the 15th of each month. And as uh, those of you who are curious about kind of a further exploration of each of our series as we do them, at the end of each series, we're adding a new members-only episode called The Retake. And that is where we kind of do a macroscopic look at uh, the entire series and everything we gleaned from it. Members also get to vote on what we're talking about in the member bonus episodes for each series. As we, uh, we've, we've got all kinds of new movies that we're throwing into existing series and members tell us what to do. In fact, members have already voted on the movie Relic. Uh, it is another horror debut that is going to be our September member bonus. So if you want to hear us talking about Relic, directed by Natalie Eric James from 2020, become a member and you'll be able to hear that episode. Those member bonus episodes drop the last day of the month. You can watch live streams of the shows as we record them. We send an email out right before and we uh, drop a link into the Discord channel so you can always uh, keep up to date and chat along with the show uh, right there. And speaking of Discord, we have uh, members-only channels in Discord where members can kind of have great conversations about movies and everything they love with other members. It's a great uh, perk. And now, stickers. We're making stickers of a lot of things. You don't know what stickers you're going to get. It, it, it could be uh, one of our series stickers. It could be a show logo sticker. It, it could just show up in your mailbox, like today. Probably not today if you're not a member, but it could. And best of all, you don't have to listen to all of this every single episode. That's, I mean, that's really the best thing that you get out of it. Yeah, it might be the biggest perk. Might be the biggest yeah. perk, though. Yeah. Head over to truestory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about our membership tiers. The most it'll cost you is five bucks a month or $55 a year. Meet Zinnia. You are being very polite to someone who is attempting to kill us. Her wife, Saffron. You can plan all you want, but what matters is what you do when your plan falls apart. And their best friend, Goldie. Glad we didn't miss all the fun. Swords in hand, they defend their city from the worst of humanity. I am Lord Buxton Blue. Vicious Soir. The Fraconian Lake. Equity Electric. Follow their adventures on the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society audio drama podcast. Available now at truestory.fm slash swashbuckling. Okay, Andy. A girl walks home alone at night. Um, the, what a movie. I hey, don't think this movie would have fit. This is complete aside, but we had a list a while ago about movie titles that are complete sentences. Yeah. This would have been it. This would have been the, a great yeah. one to include. I can't believe we didn't think about that at the time. Well, Whoever was uh, on that show didn't yeah. think about it. Probably you. And you just, this is a miss. A fat mat <laughs> failure. <laughs> uh, it is an Iranian feminist vampire spaghetti western movie shot in the luscious black and white. Uh, and 
it's it is an amazing film. I have to tell you, I watched this film and I don't think I liked it maybe as much as I felt I should have. And then it just ate away at me, so to speak. Like I, it's one of those movies that I, I thought I was going to stop thinking about and I didn't stop thinking about it. I just, I just keep thinking about it. This movie, how did it hit you? Well, one, I'm surprised that you didn't uh, ask me what I thought your reaction to it would have been. <laughs> oh, <So>. no. <laughs> you totally, oh no! You totally, what would you totally uh, said? I it. broke it. What did, what would you have said? I, I would, I, I don't know. I think that I thought that you would have ended up struggling with this one. So I think I probably would have been right until you thought about it more. Yeah. <laughs> until your, it away you some more. Your gut check answer would have been right on the money. Exactly. But so now I'm going to turn the tables on you. I'm going to say, what do you think I'm going to say? I think you loved it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I really loved no. this film. I, I just, I found the, the pacing, the mood, the, just the tone of the whole film just really uh, kind of exciting and different, especially with the music uh, choices that Amir Poor included, which, I, I mean, this soundtrack was just phenomenal. I just want to listen to it all the time. Yeah. It was just so, so great. But the idea of this vampire woman creeping around in the streets of bad city at night on her on the skateboard that she takes from this child i I really liked and the way that it's talking about this idea of being alone and isolated and and uh addictions and this idea of feeding upon the land and and just you know kind of feeding upon society kind of society's ills with the addictions and everything like i I found like there was there were so many interesting things to think about in context of what she was doing with this film but also i found it just it, it was a really touching love story that i completely connected with like watching um arash and our young vampire find a connection really powerful and the scenes with them just just I found incredibly um, haunting and romantic. And I I just, I I really did love this film. It's great. I love it more, you know, understanding more clearly what it's saying. I didn't know anything about this movie uh, going into it. I'd heard of it. I didn't, I had, didn't see it when it came out. Uh, I had heard good things that, that people liked. So I was really looking forward to watching it. Um, And that it was an Iranian vampire film. Yeah. That was the that was the extent of of what I I knew about it. And so uh I I guess I expected a a vampire film. I was curious what I was going to get because I know how restrictive it is making films in Iran and the the sort of cultural restrictions that go into it. And so I was surprised watching this movie some of the things that we see. We see a lot of, you know, romantic love and violence and you know, it it is um it, it's a movie that just didn't seem like it could possibly be made. Amir Poor is is making a movie in California uh, about Iranian vampires with um you know, actors you know, here, present <laughs> here. Of course, she could get away with a lot of stuff. And in that regard, it becomes a blue and onion of statements, right? Like she's making a movie <laughs> here intentionally in Farsi because she can say things about this culture, which is ostracizing and challenging and restrictive and also an exercise of deep patriotism, right? That conflict, I think, that she is experiencing herself is is right on the sleeves of this movie. And it makes it more fascinating for me to experience it knowing that than just watching it cold. It's a film to think about. And uh, it's interesting because I feel like everything's there. It's not 
it's not a film where you really have to think about uh, the symbology or anything. It's 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 kind of just there. But in context of the way that she's putting the film together, it I, I don't know. I just I find that it's. Um, it's such a patient film. It, it's kind mm-hmm. of the pacing. It's just kind of a, a slower paced film as you kind of move through the night with the girl as she's kind of stalking various people and, and as uh, Arash is, uh, you know, doing his job and doing whatever it's, it's kind of patient. And, and I, you get that sense like right from the beginning as you're watching Arash just kind of standing there smoking, looking like, is he doing something suspicious? And then he kind of goes through a doorway and comes out with a cat and walks off with the cat. <laughs> and you're like, okay, what's up with this guy? And as you kind of continue watching, you see him just the way the music is playing and, and things kind of slow down. The music slows down. The, the film itself slows down. The title comes like pounding up onto the screen. It's just like, there's a, a style that she has de- determined that she's going to use as she makes this film and put put everything in here. And uh, I don't even know if she is overtly wanting to kind of put all of those messages there as much as she's wanting. I mean, when you hear her talk, it sounds like she's really just wanting to make kind of a really interesting love story is kind mm-hmm. of what she's doing. But I, I like that she's including all of these other things because it gives you so much more. And she may not overtly be talking about this society that uh, has this patriarchal structure or um, is very oppressive, but just by including it, as you said, in this environment where it's in Bad City, they're speaking Farsi, it's kind of an Iranian story, but it's not in Iran. She is allowing herself to have all of those elements there that, that are pushing at what that actual society allows while she's telling this love story. And I think that was a really interesting way to approach it. I do too. I mean, she calls it out, right? It's, it is for her a counterculture John Hughes movie. She says it's like a John Hughes film. The outcast is trying to fit in. And then at the end of the movie, she realizes she's better off being herself and being with the people who really appreciate her. Well, okay. It's, it's there right on its sleeves. Um, <laughs> and, and, and as such, it, it leaves me with this open question that, you know, you already talk about, like, the, the, the look of the film, and I deeply appreciate the look of the film, and, and it's very patient, and I love the black and white. It's just crisp and beautiful. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm, I, there were times that I would stop and say, come on, let's move along. Let's let's move it along a little bit. Let's move the pacing. It seemed to be a, a little bit inconsistent for me, and I, I would want it to just forge ahead and and show me the next thing we're holding a little bit too long on on these lingering uh, you know two shots and uh, I, I wanted a more active camera and so I wonder and and I've come to to appreciate that more in hindsight the gift of hindsight and research but I wonder if that's a disservice to the film that um, that it moves so slowly in in some places um, that you know it if you don't go through the motions of of looking into the film and research, researching the the filmmaker and and the team behind it, that it it doesn't end up um, hurting the film for new audiences. It's interesting. I don't. I didn't have that reaction where I felt like the pacing ever was starting to like be too slow, or that it wasn't working right for me um, from the beginning. Like for me, it just like I was. I I 
clicked with the mood as soon as I started watching it. And I'm like, oh, I am so in the vibe for this. And it just, it rolled along and I never felt that. But I've heard that, you know, and just reading other reviews and looking at what other people have had to say, it does seem to be a thing that that strikes people is that the pacing can be a little a little lethargic. But, but I mean, Andy, do you want to show them the note that you got from Amirpour? I mean, when she sent you that letter that says, Dear Andy, I made a movie just for you. <laughs> it's going to tickle right. every one of your film nerd vibes. It totally did. Just, it totally yeah. did. I right. should, I should, I should, um, Frame after I, after I type that letter up, I'll, <laughs> I'll post it. <laughs> um, it, it, no, it just, it really did click with me, but I mean, uh, but I think that's, it's an interesting thing because I think because it was a film that affected you, it, it kind of allowed itself to kind of get into those cracks. And I think, yeah. Now, if you watched it again, you're probably not necessarily going to have that same reaction that you did the first 100%, time. Right. And, and I think that's, uh, the strength of, you know, a film like this. And also, I think for me, it just shows that Amirpur definitely had a, a, a style and a, a tone that she was going for. And I think she, succeeded now i haven't seen did you watch the bad batch because i uh, that, no. i know that was her follow-up film and it's been on my list uh forever i just have never gotten around to it so uh, now i really want to watch it and, and get a sense as to how that one unfolded the way i understand it, i mean she when she talks about her experience and the, the last interview i watched was 2014 when this doing when she was doing the press yeah. and she had said at that point she'd written 12 screenplays and she was trying to get she had two of them that she was really pushing to try and get produced and and realized that this was i'm just she had gone to Germany and she was a resident filmmaker in Germany for five months and she made a a, a film, you know, this, that combination stop motion and and live action. And um, she said, this is ridiculous. Why don't I just make a movie myself? Like, And so she wrote this like in a month. And it was the most, as she talks about it, the most precise bit of scripting and filmmaking that she'd ever done the, the full-on storyboards writing for each actor that she had in mind and and uh, you can really feel it that that sense of precision in this movie it's a razor blade it, and i think it works really well to your point i'm really interested in watching what comes next from her because it sounds like this was a big lessons learned movie for her that she'd been trudging for a long time and defined her sense of, you know, Amirpurian filmmaking on this movie. It, she did. Uh, she definitely did. And, uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see the Bad Batch because I'm curious. We've heard this from filmmakers throughout time. Like, I mean, even still, Steven Spielberg, when he was making Jaws. Yeah. When you don't have as big a budget and you can't, you know, show the monster all the way through the entire film, you really have to think more outside the box and more creatively in order to find the way to construct the film. Hence why Jaws works so well in a story like this, where the budget was low, it was a low, you know, indie budget type of project, you know, does that end up helping her kind of define her vision more? And, you know, with a bigger budget project like the Bad Batch, is it a little more, um, diffused across the project so I'll, I'll be curious to see that one and and get a sense me too um let's talk just a little bit about the the vampire part of it right because you talk about effect sequences uh i think we need to talk about the horror how well does the the vampire work for you i mean i love it it's really interesting i i 
the, the black and white's great because blood just ends up looking black, which mm-hmm. really blends in with her chador. Yeah. That, so you can't really tell, like, is she covered in blood? Who knows? It just all looks black. I think that's, that's kind of clever the way that that ends up playing. But it's also really uh, kind of frightening the, the, the simplistic way that they went with the transformation because you see, Saeed uh, kind of, you know, caressing her face and everything, and she's starts kind of like sucking on his finger. And then the way that they show her teeth, um, they're not retracting, they're popping out with the opposite of retract. It's so quick. And it's just such a little like, it's almost like spring-loaded teeth that just kind of pop down, mm-hmm. which, you know, it surprises him. And then she just goes to town and bites his finger off and is, uh, I mean, I, I loved the way that that scene played out. You know, she bites his finger off, takes his bloody finger and is now doing the same stuff to him that she, he had been doing to her, you know, caressing his lips with his bloody finger before she attacks him. And, and the attacks are uh, very mild indie budget types of attacks where basically she and her chador just basically like in fast motion just kind of leap onto their throat and we don't really see the feeding we just know that she's draining them of their blood it was simply done and i found it to be quite effective the restraint of not worrying about showing a lot of gore in this movie is the jaws effect right that it can still be scary when you just look at the whole predator-prey relationship. And I, I think that works exceedingly well because it becomes more of a dance with the camera and framing than with just more blood. It, you know, And to your point, the blood on her mouth makes for some incredible lingering still shots on her <laughs> as her eyes look up. I think Sheila Vand is, is a perfect casting for that part oh, uh, yeah. and, and just is able to channel a real haunting energy. But but back to that point, I I wanted to look at the um, the sequence where she attacks the the drug dealer, right? The pimp Saeed, yeah. Uh, the in full, like when she walks into the frame, and and there's a lovely video essay on this sequence that I I found just perfect and and pulls apart a lot of stuff that I did not notice in the film the first time, uh, and and having watched it just just the once uh right before we recorded this it's it's uh, i i feel like i i need to go back and watch this the sequence again a dozen times she really is building a predator prey like cage with the camera and it's just perfect if you if you watch the scene as she comes in and is standing on the stairs and he is doing his doing the drugs on the couch the bottom half of the screen is full of tigers and tattoo. He's tattooed with tigers. There are tiger blankets all over everything. Uh, and the top half where she's standing is like gazelle heads, right? It's, it's the prey. And as she moves through the frame, you see that the camera is actually pushing her into the predator mode and him into the prey mode until finally he's with the gazelles and she's with the tigers and you realize, oh my God, this is visually, uh, this has told me the story before I even got to the point where she kills him as she takes the dominant role in the scene. It is another example in this movie of many wonderful examples of assumed control of men in assumed presumed control and power positions and her taking that power and relieving them of that presumption of control 
And it is, it ends up being a lovely uh, sort of visual sequence of violence demonstrating that transition of power. And I, I'm here for it. I just, I really love it. I think she is great. There's an interesting element to that that I think is worth talking about because we see her uh, take down several people. The first one is Saeed, the drug dealer, drug dealer slash pimp slash, yeah. you know, yeah. basically the, the one gangster in this little tiny town. And she takes him down and we pretty much feel okay with that because we've seen how uh, he behaves. We've seen how he treats the people who are addicted to his drugs. We've seen how he treats the the prostitute that is working for him. I mean, he's just a terrible, terrible person, and we don't like him. And that's set up really well. Then we see her pacing and following along with Hossein, who is Arash's father, who is an addict, and which is an interesting little frightening scene, the way that she's just kind of, I mean, she is very predatory in that moment as she's just kind of imitating him from one side of the street and he's on the other. Right. And it finally freaks him out too much. He runs home. As she's following him, she ends up coming across that kid. Why he's out walking in the middle of the night, I have no idea. Weird. Yeah. But weird. he is. And that's a really frightening scene where she actually has a confrontation with him about, you know, don't don't be bad. And takes his skateboard and kind of it's just almost like an interesting lesson, like, you know, find be a good person or I'll come for you when you're older type of thing. Later we see her take Hossein. After he has just kind of really mistreated the the prostitute and, and really kind of a horrific scene, the way that he ties her up and forces her to take this drug with him. But then there's the one killing that I, I want to talk a little bit more about because it's the only one that I guess she's just doing as saying she still has to eat, even if it's not a bad man. It's just there's a, a shot of like a homeless person like passed out on the side of the street. Or sleeping on the on the sidewalk. I don't know, but just sitting there, and she comes up to him and attacks him. And um, it's I think maybe the second kill before Hossein. Um, what do you get out of that one? Because that one isn't necessarily going after a one of these quote bad men. That's a great observation, and I to me, and I think you can apply the same thing to the ultimate end of Hussein, who is you know obviously undone by the drugs. That she is a complex, like this invented lore of the vampire in this movie. She's a much more sort of complex creature, I think. And in introducing us to her darkness, her relationship with Arash demonstrates that it, she also, she has this range of like coming to terms with her love and lust and also pity. Like to me, her exercising violence against you know the 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 junkie in the alley and ultimately Hussein could be seen as an act of of pity that she's ending their existences because of their suffering, and so she I, you know I like to think of her as a character with more than just one trick. I didn't. Assume that it was a junkie necessarily in the alley, I, and and I'd have to look again. But as memory served, it was just a person who was like sitting down up against a, the wall of a building in the middle of the night, presumably sleeping. So I just assumed it was just a homeless person. But I guess it could be a junkie who had passed out just living there on the on the street. And so I thought that that was interesting um, that she that that was a kill that we end up seeing. 
And I was wondering, um, because the other ones felt so purposeful, this one just felt more, I'm just hungry. And I, I guess to that end, I mean, maybe it's just an element saying, you know, she still is out there cleaning up the streets, you know, doing her, her bit, I suppose. I don't like thinking her as, you know, quote, eating without purpose. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I really think that she's set up as a as a creature of more complexity. And, you know, I prefer that in in my take on on the character. And and maybe that is to that example, that setup is not is, is not great as a result. Right. I mean, that setup is, you know, doesn't directly speak as well. But eventually she'll get to a point where she will have eaten all the bad people and she'll just have to feed on, on everybody else. That's actually a really good question. Like, will she, it, what is the, is, is the film saying anything about that? Like, yeah. will, will Bad City ever run out of bad people? I don't know. I, I, I don't either. I, I mean, it's certainly, there's not a lot of people walking around at night. <laughs> so yeah. it makes me think that, uh, you know, she might be close to having cleaned it up, which maybe is why she leaves at the end. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But, but no, I mean, that's why she, why she left. Why did she leave at the end? Like, I don't think it's because she cleaned up the city and was done. I honestly, like, I love the John Hughesiness of it. Like, she found a guy that appreciates her and is able to appreciate her after discovering that she killed his dad. Like, yeah. he knows her worst bits and still got back in the truck and drove away with her. I love that. Like, that is really touching. It is, honestly. And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, being a little cheeky as far as kind of having cleaned up bad city but <laughs> but i do i do like the idea of this relationship that forms between her and arash and i mean that's a really interesting um kind of character there that we have in arash because obviously she's she's doing stuff that is bad but so is he right i mean he's yeah. not happy with the kind of the quote career path he's taken he's you know basically working as a, a landscaper for a one of the rich families in town as as we see when he's invited in by the daughter to fix the tv and then ends up stealing some earrings i mean he's you know out for himself and he's trying to figure out a way to get ahead and he takes advantage of the fact that once he finds saeed dead he doesn't know it's her but he finds saeed dead and he's like well great now i'll i'll take over and he becomes i mean he's not pimping anyone out but he is the drug dealer he's taking all the drugs he's hooking up his dad and he's you know given x they're selling x to girls at at the club he ends up kind of filling in that hole that was left when saeed uh, left and so he's got his own issues and so that's what i liked is when uh when she he kind of discovers that about her i i think that there's an element of you know what we all have our issues we all have stuff that we've done that we're not proud of me too and he's willing to kind of get past that and and move forward and i think that their meetings i i, I find so touching in this film like when when he's dressed in the vampire outfit at the co from the costume party, when he the girls kind of make him take X, and he's kind of tripping, and the girl, our, our vampire, comes across him just staring at a streetlight <laughs> in the middle of the night, and then they have this really touching conversation as he connects with her, and I think that's that is what really surprises the girl is he actually isn't into like trying to take her home to go to bed with her or do anything creepy he actually just has like a conversation with her they sit on the sidewalk and have a nice conversation and i found that really interesting the way that it affected her and it it kind of shifted her mindset a little bit 
من گم شدم اینجا کجاست جربت شربت من شربت زنگی میکنم اینجا به شربت نمیخوره میخوره عشنا نیست I don't know if I completely saw him as taking over. Well, I'm curious your thought on his intention for taking over the drug stuff. He's set up as a caretaker, right, in the beginning of with his relationship with his dad, right? He's worried about his dad. He's trying to he's trying to take care of him, right? I mean, yep. is that what you see? That's absolutely. Okay. So when Saeed is killed. And he discovers one, he gets to get his car back. That's a that's an exciting thing because he lost his car. Right. Yep. Big bonus. But then he takes the drugs. And the way I watch it, I guess I'm watching it with maybe a more sympathetic eye because I I feel like Arash is selling the drugs as a boost to his ultimate ends, which is, you know, finding satisfaction in a new career and getting his dad the help that he needs and that maybe he's just doing this as a means to an immediate end, I didn't get the feeling that we were going to see him become the next, you know, drug czar in Bad City. And I mean, I guess that's a good observation because, yeah, I guess the question is like, once he finished selling the stuff that was in that briefcase that he took from Saeed's place, what would he is do he next? Done? Yeah, yeah. Is he saying, I'm going to take this, I'm going to sell this stuff, take that money and get out of town. And I have a feeling, I mean, he had pretty much kind of given up on his dad speaking to that relationship. His dad could not get off the junk, right? Mm-hmm. And and he was he had kind of had it with his dad. And even there's a point where he just like he's so fed up, he just like gives his dad a bunch of stuff. Here, just take it. I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. Take this and get out. Mm-hmm. And I think that yes, he does find out because of the cat that the girl is the one that had killed his dad. But at the same time, I think when he kicked his dad out. In a way, he kind of had also killed his dad, right? I mean, he gave him the drugs and everything and said, get out. His dad very easily could have just gone and sat on the side of the street, shot up, and overdosed. Yeah, right. Right. That's true. That's true. And so is it more of an exercise of when, when just as a human being, we run out of sympathy, right? Like he just became exhausted with that role that he had taken on. Well, and it's, I mean, and this is the frustrating thing with addicts. And that's what I found interesting about the film is like, until they're ready to make that change, like you're, you just can't, you, you can't keep fighting it, right? I mean, you can put them in treatment and stuff like that, but they have to be the one that's ready to make that turn in order to ever get better. And, and he, I think he had been hoping maybe that his dad would do that. And by kind of helping his dad out, I think he was hoping that at some point that would happen. And I think at the end, he realized his dad's never going to change. Yeah. His, his dad is just buried into this addiction. 
and won't give it up. And his dad was going to end up dead, whether it was from the drugs or living on the streets or a vampire. And so I think it was just a matter of time as far as, but I think he had to cut the cord. And that's the hard part, I think, for people who who have family, friends, loved ones who are addicts is is figuring out how to cut that cord and and get free from it, which um, is another interesting element in this film as, as he finally does kind of cut that cord to get out of town. And even with the drugs, I mean, I, I didn't have a sense as he was leaving town that he was going to take the drugs or continue selling it wherever he ended up. Exactly. My, that was just going to say that because that this was definitely an escape, uh, escape from the town and the life in, in the past, but also running toward a new relationship with, you know, with the girl. Yeah. And, and that to me is the more sort of weirdly hopeful part about this movie that it ends on, on a note where, where there's, there's promise in the future, right? It's just not, it's not bleak. It's weird, but it's a love story. It's weird. <laughs> it is a love story. And that's another thing, like, I found so touching the moment outside of the, uh, you know, where all the, the rigs are and the power plant and everything. When the train goes by, you have that moment where uh, she wants to have her ears pierced. And asks him to pierce her ears with a needle, which he does, and it kind of triggers her teeth and everything. I thought that was just really interesting. Yeah. What's my honey? Back it up. مجبور نیستی که اینی گیرم بکن نه دیگه آره پاست But also, I'm like, what an interesting element to insert into a vampire story where she's the one with the fangs, but in a weird way, she's having him bite her, right? Yeah, and I was like, that, that's, that's reciprocal, that reciprocal yeah. relationship, like balancing their position together, I think is really lovely. Yeah. What a weird movie. Well, and it's funny because it's in our horror debuts, but in no way did I find this a horrific film. I found no. it really, and I think, you know, the Iranian feminist vampire spaghetti Western really, in a weird way, does kind of sell it. Like, horror is yeah. not in there. It's, nope. It is a vampire. It does feel kind of a Western. Um, but it's really kind of, it is, I, I really sense this romance. It's it's a darker romance story with certainly a vibe of some horrific uh, images as far as like the depictions of drugs and addiction. Sure, it's a horror film because it's a vampire set at night. There's killings and all that. But I don't feel it's just a scary film. Yeah, I agree with that. And the music. The music sets it up much more as a as a rock movie musical. Yeah, with a great Western vibe because that yeah. the composer that she ended up meeting was doing all sorts of uh, Ennio Morricone style sounds where he was creating his own version of Morricone spaghetti Western music. And mm-hmm. That vibe in here um, is very strong, and I yeah. uh, I think it speaks well to kind of this, the tone of Bad City. Bad City. Ah, so good. Yeah, it was funny to hear her talk about the Shador. You know, she said 
I, I put it on myself and I realized I immediately wanted to be on a skateboard. And then I thought, this is it. This is an Iranian vampire. I, I love that, that she found it so effortless to take this cultural artifact and turn it into uh, a horror artifact. I mean, obviously there's views of the Shador and, uh, you know, other types of this dress in in kind of these Middle Eastern countries that seem very oppressive as far as, you know, the women are required to wear these types of things. But it's interesting that she found a way to find the power in it. Mm -hmm. And she said when she puts it on, she does feel powerful and she feels like she's flying and she feels like there's, she says there's a weight to the fabric and the way that it moves and everything. It almost, she said it made her feel kind of like a stingray or, or yeah. like she was just gliding. And, and I can, you can see that like when you have the girl skateboarding uh, down the street and it's just kind of this, uh, this almost this entity that's, it's all, it's like a bat, bat wings, you know? I mean, it works really well in context of this, uh, this creature that she's created. I, I found it to be very effective. And again, speaking to that idea of this story that is Iranian, the way that she's using this to kind of create a more powerful character in a female, I found to be uh, just exciting. It's 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 unique. Yeah. Can you imagine writing the script this way? Like she wrote it. She wrote it in English, and she says, "I was thinking in Farsi." And then the second round, second draft, I I wrote it in Farsi, but phonetically. And she says it was tedious as shit. I can't, I, I just, I know there are a lot of multilingual, like, screenwriters out there in the world, but this breaks my brain a little bit. Well, it's a lot of work, because she's writing, as you said, she's writing in English, but not not the way that they would speak in English. She's writing in English, right. as she said, thinking in Farsi. So she's, like, thinking, how would they actually say that in Farsi, and then doing the translation into English, and that's what she would write, which... Yeah, I just, I can't imagine. It seems like so much work to craft the script that way. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> but there's also not a ton of dialogue. So No, there's not a end. ton of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Armour 4, we, we talked about the skateboard. She she stood in for uh, any of the skateboarding. She she did it herself. And she was also the skeleton party girl uh, oh. uh, at the party. And so you, you do get to see a little bit of, of her in here. Um, and, and she is a lifelong avid skateboarder. And totally can, makes sense. Like she, she really has that, has that vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lyle Vincent was, was her cinematographer. And, uh, you know, I has done some interesting films, certainly is kind of in the horror vein of things. He did Cooties, which was a film that uh, Elijah Wood was in. Back in 2014, right around the same time, I wonder if they had kind of come to this together uh, through Wood. Like, I wonder if that's how they ended up connecting. But he ended up doing the Bad Batch with her also. He did Thoroughbreds. He did Bad Education. I think that as far as cinematographers go, I think he captures strong looks. And I think in context of what he was trying to do for this film, the way that the black and white works with the Shador, with just the nights, the night scenes, uh, really with the blood, with everything. I mean, it's it's incredibly effective black and white cinematography. 
and patient. It, like the slow moves on things. Like I really enjoyed the slow pushes, slow pulls, slow pans. Like I, all of that, I found paced uh, just beautifully the way that the camera just felt so at one with this environment. Yeah, absolutely. Her, she's so she did the bad batch. And did you see anything about uh, a little suicide? No, she did a short, the short in 2012. I haven't watched anything else by her. I, I haven't either. And uh, she did. She's doing right now. Mona Lisa in the Blood Moon. It actually played at Venice um, just a few days ago. It premiered at, uh, or just uh, it, by the time this released, it will have been a few weeks back. But it premiered at Venice Film Festival. And then it's going to be at the Zurich Film Festival around the time this is released. And then in mid-October, it'll be at the BFI London Film Festival in the UK. So it's it's hitting the the festival circuit right now, but no release dates yet. Andy. Pete. A mountain climber gets caught in a scheme involving thieves trying to recover stolen cash. Starring rumored Jason Momoa, written by Sasha Penn, directed by Anilili Amirpour. Can you believe she is going to be directing a remake? of cliffhanger that's crazy that's crazy (laughs) i i kind of love that after seeing this movie i also kind of love that i just hope that there's a raccoon a moment where a raccoon falls off the line (laughs) it was so much that movie was so much (laughs) uh you know, I I'm I think she's I, I think she's a thrilling filmmaker, and I I you know as much as this movie, and I think you you said it early on that that so many of the reviews I think capture what my initial thoughts were was this just not enough? Like it, the movie is it it says exactly what it says right on its sleeve, and you know, it, and the question was, is it enough? Like, is it enough just to enjoy the look of the film? And I think you know, arguably, yes. I think it's. I think it, there is enough film to to like the movie, make a statement. I think there is so much more film w- once you start actually thinking about what it uh, what it represents. That was that uh, it was a delightful watch. Yeah, for me. absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Well, let's not do our wrap ups just yet because we will be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by handsome Andy Nelson, music by Shimo, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the rewards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. You know, we didn't talk about the fact that she started this with a short film. Had you had you seen that one? No, I haven't watched anything. 
Yeah, I, I hadn't uh, seen it either. Um, it uh, screened at festivals. It was very simple. It was just largely the story of her and Saeed, basically. It's, you know, uh, it's a, a man seeing this woman out in the streets and, and invites her home and seems like he's the predator and she's the prey. And it turns out she's a vampire. And that was kind of the short. Um, and then she used Indiegogo to um, launch a feature version. And that's where she started trying to raise money and uh and to kind of get it going so yeah it's uh, but yeah i i i haven't seen the short film and i i wonder if it's on youtube we should track it down i cannot find it i've been real time tracking it down right now um maybe vimeo might be i was surprised it wasn't on the uh on the disc bonus feature yeah i am also surprised by that um now the movie was only made in 2014 has there been time for sequels and remakes uh, no, uh, I, and I don't think there will be one, but it was adapted into a graphic novel series, uh, a series of six issues published by Radko, and it explored her backstory. Uh, Michael DeWeese did the art for it. And if you watch any of the bonus features, you'll see that Anna Lily Amirpour, like she came up with the girl's entire backstory, like through all of history and knew how old she was. And yeah, she had like the, 185 years yeah, old. She had the yeah. whole thing figured out. So it's pretty interesting. So uh, yeah, it's out there if you want to track down the, the graphic novel series. It's part one in the girly verse. that right? Gir- <laughs> girl nighty verse? No, no, still not working. Okay, we'll workshop it. We'll take it to the lab. There you go. How to do it award season. It did well for itself. This film had eight wins, 23 other nominations. At Sundance, it was nominated for the Best of Next Audience Award, but lost to Malik Vithal for Imperial Dreams. At the Rondo Hatton Horror Awards, it was nominated for Best Independent Film, but lost to What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, I'd love that film. (laughs) At the Sitges Catalonian uh, Film Festival, it won the official Fantastique Selection Carnet Jove Jury Award. It won the Citizen Kane Award for Best Directorial Revelation for Amirpour, and Amirpour also won a special mention. And at the Film Independent Spirit Awards, uh, the film was nominated for Best First Feature, but lost to Nightcrawler. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, but lost to Birdman. And Amirpour was nominated for Someone to Watch, but lost to Rania Atia and Daniel Garcia for the film H. I haven't seen H. I haven't either. Uh, how do you feel about Nightcrawler, Birdman, those particular wins? Those are and tough what ones. we do in the shadows. Yeah, they're they're tough ones to uh, to call out uh, as as mistakes. I, I think all of those. I, I think I would have been happy either way in any case. Yeah, yeah. All of those movies are more complex films, just in terms of the finished product. Yeah, uh, and I I can see why there there might be some waiting against this one. Yeah, oh, right, right. How to do it at the box office. You know, it's hard to say what the actual budget was for this film, but if Indiegogo is to be believed, the full budget raised by the site for the film's production was $56,903. Films have been made for less, so it's entirely possible that this was the full budget. So I'm just going to go with it. That is $61,500 in today's dollars. This movie had a very limited indie release on two screens after its festival run, opening November 21st, 2014, opposite The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. <laughs> Penguins of Madagascar, and Horrible Bosses 2. Talk about counter-programming. 
Wow. This never screened on more than 19 screens across the country, but it did enough to earn its money back, assuming that it did have that little budget, earning domestically $544,000 and internationally $97,000 for a total gross of $693,000 in today's dollars. That lands Amir Poor's film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $6,377 and marks it a success. And that's why she's directing Cliffhanger. And that's why she's directing Cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what a fun uh, excursion. Interesting film. Looks great. Uh, I I'm, really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah. With that, Andy, I think we should, I think we should rate it. Well, we will. But first, we're going to listen to the trailer for next week's movie, Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. Have you seen The Babadook? We want to know what you thought. Again, send us your thoughts in a 30-second audio clip, and we'll get your review in the episode. Just send it to reviews at truestory.fm. You know what you should do, though? Also, even if you just want to send us your rendition of the Babadook, you can just do that. And we'll put a whole a whole string of them in the show. Oh, we sure will. Oh, we sure will. <laughs> Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Babadook-duck-duck. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioral problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. Box.com slash the next reel, Andy. Uh, we we gotta we gotta drop our reviews in there. What do you th- what do you think? What do you think? Is this a six star? With yeah. <laughs> two beating hearts or a four chamber bovine heart? Or I'm torn on this one because part of my world says that this could be a five star film. Part of it says 
you know, it's probably a four star film. So I feel like for now, I'm going to say it's a four and a half star film with a heart. Um, I really like it. There's so much going for it. Um, I, I think on later watches, it could go up. Um, I'm hard pressed to say it would ever go down. I just, I really, I just, I felt like this was just such a great film. I really enjoyed it. It is a safe four star film. It was a three star film to start for me. And then I looked into it and really enjoyed it because of the research. But as a result of that, it makes it a film that I recommend to others with qualifications, right? That this is a great film if you like, or it's a great film if you know uh, this little bit of backstory and that'll make it better. So I feel like it's a four-star film because it's not one of those like chilling experiences every time I watch it. Uh, I'm with you. It could go up. It might go up. I need to watch it a few more times. But the heart is there because I'm looking forward to watching this a few more times. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. So what did you think about uh, about A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on our Discord server, and we'll be talking this week about this movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Uh, I went low. You went high? I went high. Um, okay. Let her rip. I uh, ended up kind of doing what you did last week. I went five stars, uh, but I went uh, you know, looking for the really popular reviews just to, you know, I wanted to hang out with the popular kids today. Mm-hmm. Uh, five stars written by Lauren, who had this to say, sometimes a family is just a sad boy, his fat cat. And his vampire girlfriend. <laughs> his fat cat and a sad boy. The sad boy and the fat cat and the vampire girlfriend. Maybe that needs to be our shirt for this movie. Uh, mine is a half star, which was based on a rewatch by Allegra. And um, Allegra didn't, didn't like the movie as much. And oh. says the following. Damn. I'm currently going through my phone and personally apologizing to anyone I've recommended this film to, and especially with so much enthusiasm. My excitement about the film was based on an obscured memory of watching it the year it came out, 2014. Also a year I was high all the time. Maybe that explains it a little. Upon rewatching, I couldn't believe just how unpolished and scattered and without purpose this movie was. I remember loving the music, but it was even cheesy this time around. It had so much potential throughout to redeem itself and scratch a little deeper than the superficial, glossed-over thesis of the film. But it's like everyone just gave up mid-scene each time. Even though it was so stylized and continuously switched its style, like hopping from reference to easy reference or trying on different hats to try to fit in or just to be justified. Now I will return to my sincerely apologetic texts. I regret ever having pushed this movie so hard. I blame my bad memory and idealism. Forgive me. (laughs) Heartfelt. But it kind of gets into what I was saying about my review of this film. I think I could have, in another universe, been somebody to write this review. That I get it. Like, I get how you can see that. And I guess I'm looking at it through a, a much more optimistic eye. Yeah. yeah. Oh. 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 <laughs> Let's go back to sad boy and a fat cat. Please. <laughs> Thanks, Letterboxd. 
I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.